Let me just explain what's going on for the next few moments. We're actually in the middle of a series, but for those who are joining us as guests, we're in the middle of a sermon series called Faith in the Dark, which is taking a careful look at a book called Job in the Bible. It's part of the, the Bible's got um, a section it calls the wisdom literature. So Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job, three books particularly given over to the topic of wisdom, how to get wise. And Job is really dealing with the issue of human suffering and the justice of God. Now, it might seem a little strange to be thinking about these things on a sort of a baptism Sunday on a day of great celebration, and we're all celebrating the gift of God in baptism. But here is a discipleship 101 issue, right? A primary discipleship issue. What are we going to do as followers of the Lord Jesus when we're met with trial, difficulty, hardship. Each of us is going to face different valleys, sometimes deep valleys, right? And we need deep, deeper reservoirs of truth, of God's truth in those moments to see us through so that we persevere, we find God to be faithful and that truth to be life-sustaining when we're in those hard moments. And parents and families, those of us who are raising children, we're going to need to show our children those deep reservoirs. We're going to need to teach them about the deep reservoirs and model it to them. What will they see? I sometimes ask myself this question, and I'm a parent myself. What do my children see in me? What do they hear me say? What do they hear me pray when things are really hard? I would argue what, what they see and hear in those moments may be much more significant than what they see and hear when things are going well. So, let's get into it. The book of Job. I'm going to just recap what June took us through last week, and especially 1 verse 1. We're introduced to the man Job, and here is crucial words, and, and actually June pointed this out for us last week. We need to know this. We need to see this as we get into the book of Job, and as we understand what it's teaching us today. In the land of Uz, there lived a man whose name was Job. What do we know about this guy? This man was blameless and upright, God-fearing, and shunned evil. Remember that. We're told he was wealthy. He had a great reputation, a large family. He was highly esteemed among the people. And then, having been introduced to Job, we're kind of taken up into the heavenly courtrooms. There we are in sort of the presence of the living God and all of his heavenly host. And someone called, uh, in the Hebrew, it's Hasatan. Literally, the accuser. Steps forward. It's where we get our English word Satan. But interestingly, right the way throughout Job, the Satan, the accuser. Steps forward in front of the throne of God. And God actually says to this one, have you considered, have you seen my servant Job? Blameless upright, 
God-fearing, shuns evil. Have you considered him? To which the accuser replies, basically, he says, yeah, okay, yeah. But I tell you, God, the reason this man fears you is because everything is good in his life. Everything's just fine. Take it away. Take that stuff away and he'll curse you to your face. That's what the accuser says. Now, it's smart. It's satanic, but it's smart. How conditional is this man's worship, is the question. How conditional is it? Does this man, here's the question, does this man love God or does this man love God's gifts? They are two very different things. Does this man fear God truly or does he just love God's good gifts? That's the question. And the accuser's like, let's find out. Let's find out. And God grants permission. He says, all right. Gives him permission. So what follows is a series of devastating blows to Job as the story goes. So let me just recap those for you. This is chapter one, verses 13 to 15, if you want to follow along with me in your Bibles. He loses his oxen and donkeys. Remember, this is like ancient Near East. Oxen and donkeys, that's his possessions to nearby raiders who steal them and kill his servants. Then verse 16, there's a fire and all his sheep and shepherds gone. Then verse 17, another raid, this time the Chaldeans making off with his camels and putting more of his servants to the sword. And then after all of that, after his livelihood is gone, all of his possessions are gone, if you like, then comes his family. A terrific storm brings down the house where his 10 children were, seven sons, three daughters, all dead as the house they were in collapses in on them. And at that point, you wonder what Job's response would be. Well, here it is. Famous verses worth a lifetime of meditation. Let's put them on the screen. This is what Job did after all that. At this, Job got up, tore his robe, shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, naked I came from my mother's womb and naked I shall depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. And in all this, Job did not sin by charging God with wrongdoing. Now that is a fascinating verse. Can we just go back one slide? Naked, I came into my mother's womb. Naked, I shall return. There's a little section in the New Testament, actually. The Apostle Paul says he's learned the secret of being content. Whether he has loads or whether he has nothing. Whether he's well-fed or whether he's hungry. And I wonder, I just wonder whether he's meditated on words like this. True, isn't it? So that's Job's response. Then we head back to the heavenly courtroom. So it's like camera change, scene change up. We go back into the heavenly courts. 
And the accuser's back on the case and says to the Lord, all right, he's doing well, he's doing okay so far. Fair dues. But what about if I take away his health? I'll take that away and he will curse you to your face, says the accuser. And once again, the Lord allows that. He allows further trouble to afflict his servant Job. Painful sores this time, painful sores all over his body from his feet to his head. It's described such that he wants to scratch himself with broken pottery. That's how the Bible describes it. 2 verse 8, his friends don't recognize him. In 2 verse 12, they're so stunned by his appearance that they just sit with him for a week. Seven days. It's such a miserable state. And his wife at that moment says, curse God and die. Just do it. Just curse God and die. That's chapter 2 verse 9. So this is serious now. If it wasn't bad enough that he's lost everything, including his family, he's lost his health as well. But he doesn't curse God, chapter 2, verse 10. He does, however, curse the day of his birth. Chapter 3, verse 1. After this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. And from chapter 3, you can uh, bring your heads up now if you're in your Bibles. From chapter 3 now... And onwards, for about 35 chapters, there's just a series of speeches between Job and Job's friends that last 35 chapters, and it's a wrestling, a long, hard, backwards and forwards. His friends are accusing him of all sorts of things. Job's trying to defend himself. And all the while, Job's friends and Job are all circling around the question, how is this fair? How is this fair? What is going on? Is God really just? What does this mean? 35 chapters. Circling around those questions. On and on, speech after speech. Thinking about the deep question of suffering. Now, I want to stop at this point. 35 chapters, right? We've just introduced the story in two. Two chapters, that's the prologue that introduces the story of Job. 35 chapters now of wrestling. And I think that's for a reason. You see, on the one hand, we may want to say, when we're suffering, when you're suffering, if we suffer, when we suffer, There is a temptation, I think, at that stage to say, and you might not be a Christian here this morning, you might not call yourself a Christian here in church, you've come as a guest, you're very welcome here, but you may want to say to yourself, ah, God doesn't exist. There aren't any answers to these questions, it's all just nonsense. It's all meaningless. God doesn't exist. And 35 chapters of Job, 35 chapters of wrestling, wants to say that actually that's quite a lazy, it's quite a lazy response to just go, it doesn't mean anything. The suffering here in Job, in this book, 35 chapters is meant to say, think now, press in here, Wrestle. 
because you could be taken now into a deeper understanding of God's world, the way God's world works and the way God's truth works. Don't be lazy. Don't just say, ah, nothing. Think. Maybe the Lord's brought you here. Seasons such as this to take you deeper. But I would say, actually, I'd say the same thing to Christian people here, brothers and sisters, myself included. There is a tendency when we suffer as Christians just to say things like, God is good. Um, There must be a purpose in all of this. Yes. True. But that could be lazy too. 35 chapters of wrestling this book provides us with to make us go, there could be deeper things to be had here a deeper understanding of who the living God is. So let's stay here for a moment and wrestle with this. Do you see? 35 chapters for a reason. And that's why we're doing this now. That's why we're thinking about these things now so that when suffering hits us, and it will come, won't it? It may already be coming. We're actually equipped to stop and think and say, okay, hang on. I need to wrestle with this. need to think about this now i haven't got much time to cover off 17 chapters of job we're actually trying to get up to um, chapter 19 today but i'm gonna have a go so breathe okay here's here's basically how this dialogue now begins to pan out job and his friends start this intense dialogue and it is intense and i encourage you to read it Job's friends, all of them want to come at the problem like this, right? Here's what they want to say. They want to say on the one hand, right, God is just. He is just. He's always just and he's always working out in his world perfect, real-time justice. And because we know that is true, because we know that is true, your suffering, Job... What you're going through now must be a result of your wrongdoing. That's their argument. Now, they're wrong. We know they're wrong. Remember Job chapter 1, verse 1. He was an upright man, God-fearing, shunned evil. We know they're wrong, but that's the argument. So let me show it to you. This is Eliphaz, one of the friends. Chapter 4, verse 7. I think we've got a slide for this one. This This is just a sample Right, so here's what he says. He says, consider now, he's talking to Job. Consider now, who being innocent has ever perished? Who, when were the upright ever destroyed? As I've observed, those who plough evil and those who sow trouble reap it. Can you hear that? It's just a little snippet from the speech. He's basically saying, you do evil, you sow evil, you reap trouble. Right, he says, when, was it, when, were the in, when, when did this ever happen to the innocent? When did this ever happen to the upright? You hear him? God is just. He's working out his justice. Right here, right now. You must have done something wrong. Let's see Bildad, the next one. He comes along. He's even more hardcore. Listen to this. Right, this is what he says to Job. Chapter 8, verses 3 to 6. Does God pervert justice? Does the Almighty pervert what is right when your children 
sinned against you, has sinned against him, he gave them over to the penalty of their sin. So you see what he's saying? Saying they died for their sin. Then he continues, but if you will seek God earnestly, he says to Job, if you seek God earnestly and plead with the Almighty, if you are pure and upright, even now he will rouse himself on your behalf and restore you, restore you to your prosperous state. So do you see what this guy is saying now? He's saying, look, your children died for their sin and you will too, unless you turn and beg for mercy because you've sinned. Do you see what Bildad's saying? Exact same thing. We know he's wrong, but we don't help it. I'm going off script here a little bit, but it's not, this is not unusual. Right? Even as we think in our own modern 21st century day and age, we generally look at people and we think either your decisions, sometimes we're a tiny, tiny bit more complex, much more like the Pharisees with Jesus. And I'll say, it was probably your fault or it was the fault of your parents bringing you up or whoever it was who bring you up. That's why you're facing the situation that you're facing today. Right, so we're not looking back at these texts and thinking, oh gosh, they were pretty primitive. No, we speak exactly the same ways now. It's either your fault and you're facing justice for your sins or for the wrongdoing that you've done, or maybe it's you were brought up in a particular way. It's because of your parents or the people who, who, who raised you. That's why. That's why you're facing what you're facing. So it's a very modern idea, still, it's still in circulation. Now they are wrong, and we know they're wrong, these friends. But, just an interesting point, they're regularly citing scripture. If you read these chapters and their speeches, these friends, they're full, it's full of truth about God. They cite many Bible verses, and yet they are wrong. One proverb in the Bible says this, like a thorn bush in a drunkard's hand is a proverb in the mouth of a fool. See what that's saying? A drunkard grabbing a thorn bush doesn't know what damage he's doing to his hand because he's drunk. The word of God, a proverb in the mouth of a fool is like that. You do not know what damage you are doing. When we quote scripture, say true things about God without wisdom. So that's what Job's friends are doing. God is just. He's always working out justice, real-time justice right here, right now. You must have sinned. Job, on the other hand, he's protesting. He's arguing, I'm innocent. He's going, I have not done anything wrong. My suffering is not fair. And therefore, he starts to think, God must be unjust, or at least that's what he starts to say in this section of Job when we get to it, Job chapter 19. He's falling apart. You know, we've got to give him a little bit of a, wide berth here, Job. He is falling apart, cracking at the seams, and even his thoughts about God are falling apart here. But that's where he's coming to. He's like, I, I know I've not done anything wrong, and therefore, the only conclusion I can come to is that God is unjust. 
This isn't fair. And I want us to listen to him struggle. So can we, we're gonna, I'm going to read these verses now. This is Job chapter 19. I'm going to read you 22 verses. And I'm, going to, I'm actually going to read it slowly. I want you to feel this man's pain. I want you to feel his wrestling. Job chapter 19. Here we go. It will be on the screens as well. This is the first 22 verses. He's speaking to his friends. Then Job replied, How long will you torment me and crush me with your words? Ten times you have reproached me. Shamelessly you attack me. If it is true that I've gone astray, my error remains my concern alone. If indeed you would exalt yourselves above me and use my humiliation against me, then know that God has wronged me and drawn his net around me. Do you hear that? He's saying, this is not fair. I've been wronged. Verse seven, though I cry violence, I get no response. Though I call for help, there's no justice. Can you hear what he's saying? He's saying, this is just meaningless. What's going on? He has blocked my way so that I cannot pass. He shrouded my paths in darkness. He stripped me of my honor and removed the crown from my head. He tears me down on every side till I am gone. He uproots my hope like a tree. Get that picture? Hope ripped up like a tree. His anger burns against me. He counts me among his enemies. His troops advance in force. They build a siege ramp against me and encamp around my tent. Lord, you're treating me like an enemy. That's what he's saying. You're treating me like an enemy, though I've done nothing wrong. He continues. Listen to this. This is how he feels. He's alienated my family from me. My acquaintances are completely estranged from me. My relatives have gone astray. My closest friends have forgotten me. My guests and my female servants count me as a foreigner. They look upon me as a stranger. I summon my servant, but he does not answer, though I beg him with my own mouth. My breath is offensive to my wife. I just, I'm not sure that he means like he needs to, you know, take some Listerine there. I think that's kind of the Hebrew, my breath, my life. My very life, my breath, is offensive to my own wife. His own wife doesn't want him anymore. I am loathsome to my own family. Even the little boys scorn me. When I appear, they ridicule me. All my intimate friends detest me. Those I love have turned against me. I'm nothing but skin and bones. I've escaped only by the skin of my teeth. You know that phrase? That's where it comes from. Job chapter 19, verse 20. Escaped by the skin of my teeth. Have pity on me, my friends, have pity, for the hand of God has struck me. Why do you pursue me as God does? Will you never get enough of my flesh? Now, can you hear that? Can you hear the agony that Job is going through there? Can you hear it wave after wave? He's listing out. I'm just going to list out all the ways I feel everything that's going on. Uh, just a word for the guys. 
There may be something here from the wisdom of Job that we could be better at, men, listing out, itemizing pain, verbalizing it to others. I include myself in this. We're often very quiet when we suffer. And here we have Job and his wisdom, listing out his pain, talking about it. This is how I feel. That may be a word in season for someone. And then in the midst of all of this, he strikes gold. So we're getting to the end of the chapter now and to the final and concluding point, and here's what it says. Okay. He says, verse 23, Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were written in a scroll, that they were inscribed with an iron tool on lead, or engraved in a rock forever. Now, it's just slightly ironic that he says that because his words do get inscribed and it's better than rock, right? It's better than iron. More solid, the enduring word of God. Here are Job's thoughts. And these next verses, 25 to 27, have been so profound for so many millennium. Here we go. I know, verse 25, I know that my Redeemer lives and in the end he will stand on the earth and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. I am not another. Oh, how my heart yearns within me. I know that my Redeemer lives. So now Job, here he is in the wrestling. How do I make sense of all this? He's struggling, but he sees amazingly in the midst of his wrestle, a future day. He speaks of a future vindication, a future redemption. In fact, he speaks of a future redeemer. Someone, he says, did you notice that? Someone who will stand upon the earth. See that? Now, this is hundreds of years before the birth, life, death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, and still further years before his second coming again in glory. This man, Job, sees something here, a future redemption, a future redeemer, who will stand upon the earth. And he says, like, even though my skin will die and I'll be gone, I'll be destroyed, I will, in my flesh, says Job, see this. I'll see it. And I'll see him on that future day. And I will be vindicated. That's what he's saying. I'll be redeemed and how I long for that day. Now, do you see what he's uncovering in these verses, right? He's saying there's a patience. There's a patience in God, which means that his justice is not just being meted out in real time with real people 
each and every day, like the friends, Eliphaz and Bildad and Zophar, they want to say, they want to say that, don't they? They want to say, God's working out his justice all the time. Bang, bang, bang. He just sees some wrongdoing, bosh, deal with it. Sees someone being good and righteous, reward. He's not doing it in real time. He's not operating like that. He's operating actually with patience and waiting. But also, he's not there just careless and carefree of the whole situation. Like, I don't care. I don't care what's happening in my world such that he could be charged with injustice. You're not a just God. So that innocent people suffer and cruel people don't get their comeuppance. Rather, God's justice is going to be found, seen in a person. That's what Job sees in a person called my Redeemer. He will be the answer. This one, this one will be the answer. He will provide the answer to Job's tear-soaked questions around God's justice. He will be the one who silences his accusers and the accuser. And he'll be the proof. This one, this redeemer, will be the proof that God is just and he cares. This one, this redeemer, will stand upon the earth as the answer to human suffering because Job's God, that's what he calls him, my redeemer, my God, the creator of all things, will himself first hang in terrible suffering himself upon a cross and will know suffering in unparalleled intensity. So brothers and sisters, this isn't the end of the series here, but it is a key moment in this book. Suffering, if I've said nothing else today that you've heard, please hear me say this. Suffering brings us, it brought Job 35 chapters of wrestling that's meant to bring him to a deeper place. It calls us to a deeper understanding. We need to get our heads out of this simplistic way of thinking. Either, on the one hand, God is like working out his justice in real time. He's going to do things right now. He's going to deal with the wicked and reward the righteous right now. That's not how God is operating. That's how the friends think. Neither is it all just meaningless and God is unjust, as Job is protesting. Rather, Job chapter 19, 25 to 27, those verses there speak of a future, a future redemption, a redeemer, someone. It's less than an idea. Well, it's bigger, in fact, than an idea. It's a person, a person who's going to resolve all these questions. They're all circling around these questions. Is God just? How is this working out? Is this even meaningful? What does it mean? All of those questions get resolved in this redeemer, this one. And may that cause us, even when we're facing difficulty and trial, to go to the same place as Job, to the same one as Job, the Redeemer. 
there are deep answers when we look at him. Let's take a moment to pray, brothers and sisters, as we draw this to a close. Holding ourselves before the living God, remembering our own struggles and trials, remembering those who we know who are in pain and difficulty, those who are facing missile strikes in the Ukraine, those who are losing their children, those people who are facing terrible ill health, those people who are finding it so hard even to live, they have so little left. That may be us, it may be people we know, and it may be people who are in a completely different country. And so I'm offering this prayer. Most merciful God, who by the death and resurrection of your Son, Jesus Christ, delivered and saved the world. Grant that by faith in him who suffered on the cross, we would wait patiently in our own trials. We would be insured of your enduring love and your justice in the end. And we would triumph in the power and the victory of Christ. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is alive and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.